Hello and welcome to today's episode of This Is Automation. My name is Corey Dallas, your host, and today we're going to be talking about redundancy. Redundancy is a really interesting topic in many machinery applications, especially where safety or uptime are really important. Redundancy in the context of safety is a little bit more complicated since there are some additional considerations that you have to uh, worry about anytime you're talking about safety hardware or safety applications. So for simplicity, today we're just going to be talking about standard hardware uh, used in a redundant fashion. One additional note that I wanted to make is that there are other types of redundancy other than what we'll cover here today, but we're gonna focus on those solutions that are really important for the discrete applications or hybrid applications. So we won't cover anything like power supply redundancy or IO redundancy or any of the other types that you may see more commonly in a process control type of application. So maybe the best place to start is to just describe what redundancy is. In the context of control systems, it's pretty simple really. Um, basically, it just means that you have a backup or alternate um, system in the event of a failure in your control system, there is a way for you to recover uh, typically at very, very fast rate. You know, we're talking in the milliseconds here uh, to switch over to some sort of backup or redundant system. And this becomes really important in uh, systems that require very high levels of uptime where there could be catastrophic uh, implications for having downtime. So for example, in a data center where there's an extremely high requirement for availability uh, to make sure that the data and the servers are always uh, available and running, uh, you would maybe implement a redundant system there if there's a control system in that data center to make sure that we can enable that high availability. In the world of industrial automation, we typically think of redundancy in the context of two different types. One would be controller redundancy and the other would be network redundancy. Controller redundancy is simply an architecture where you have two identical controllers inside of the system instead of just one. So what that controller redundancy allows is for data to be synchronized typically within the microsecond range between those two control systems so that they're maintaining identical states. Now it's really important that those controllers are maintaining those identical states because at any given time, either one of those controllers could experience a failure. If and when that failure occurs, the expected behavior is for the controller that experienced the failure to no longer be controlling the system and then the backup or redundant system to take over. So there has to be some continual communication between them to identify that failure as well to continue to keep those controllers in the same state. So let's walk through a quick sample. Let's say we have controller A and controller B. They're both the exact same control system with the exact same software loaded on them. They're connected to my machine uh, through a variety of IO points and such. Controller A is the main controller for my machine and it's currently controlling all of the processes. While it's controlling the process, it's also communicating its state to controller B to make sure that controller B is always ready to take over if need be. Now, unfortunately, controller A has some sort of failure, but thanks to the redundancy link between controller A and controller B, that can be identified. So within just a few milliseconds, controller B takes over operation and is now the main controller. For the operator, there's basically no noticeable change other than controller B is now running the system instead of controller A. This is great for maintaining the maximum availability of a system and gives the maintenance or support team enough time to go replace controller A and get the machine back to its normal condition. You may be asking yourself, what kind of failure are we really talking about here when we say a controller failure? In this example, it could be something like a hardware fault that could take the controller out of its run mode. 
An important note is that if there's an application problem that's causing the fault, for example, a memory leak or a loose pointer, then CPU redundancy isn't really going to help because that problem is going to be duplicated on the backup system. So really when we talk about failures in the context of redundancy, they're often hardware failures. Now let's quickly walk through that same scenario without redundant control. So we have controller A and no controller B because there's no redundancy. So controller A is chugging along controlling my machine process, it's firing all of my IO, it's running its logic, and unfortunately controller A has a failure. And in this scenario there is no redundancy link to any other controllers. Um, so pretty much the machine is down at this point and now we're just burning money more or less. So the, whatever time it takes for the maintenance team to get out onto the machine, uh, to be notified that the machine is down, to replace that component, get it um, configured properly and get everything set back up, um, that's all lost time. And again, depending on the application, that could be unacceptable. And that's where we typically see redundancy. So that's controller redundancy. The other type of redundancy that we see a lot is called network redundancy. The basic functionality of network redundancy is exactly that of controller redundancy. We want to maximize uptime and reduce the risk of our machine or system going down. The way that that redundancy is implemented though is a little bit different. With network redundancy, we're typically gonna be talking about either ring redundancy or cable redundancy. A quick explanation of both, of Ring redundancy is basically in a, for example, PowerLink style network um, where you're connecting all of the nodes of that network in a ring. Um, whereas typically you may be daisy chaining those nodes together, but it terminates at the last node. Um, that leaves a vulnerability where if there's a network failure at any one of those nodes, then all of the downstream nodes would lose communication. In a ring redundancy, you basically have the exact same daisy chain topology but you take that last node and you connect it back to the first node so it creates a nice ring. In PowerLink ring redundancy, there's a ring manager and that ring manager is always checking to see if the packets are making it from that first node um, all the way to the last node and then back to the first node. If the ring manager identifies that there is a packet that doesn't make it all the way around, it assumes that there's been a failure at some point in that ring. At that point, it decides to start sending packets both directions in the ring. What that protects you against is any given single failure in the ring network does not impact the system. So for example, let's say I have four nodes connected. Node one is my master, uh, then nodes two, three, and four are just nodes on the network, controlled nodes, and then four connects back to one. Let's say I cut the cable between three and four. In a typical architecture, my packets would go from one to two, two to three, and then nowhere because of that cut cable. But since this is a ring network, my ring manager would see um, the packets that I'm sending from one to two to two to three to three to four to four back to one aren't getting back to me. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna send packets from one to two and from one to four directly. So I'm sending packets both ways in the network. So even though that line between nodes three and four are, is no longer connected, I'm getting packets sent both ways. Now the ring manager is very smart and so it can actually identify once that connection has been reestablished, it'll identify that it's sending packets both ways and receiving them on both ends and then it will stop sending packets both ways and continue to just do that one way traffic. 
Now the limitation of ring redundancy is that if you have multiple failures in the system, you're essentially losing a chunk of that. So a ring redundancy is really good at protecting against a single point of failure in the network, but if you were to have multiple failures, you have the potential of losing a section of your network um, or at least any one given node. Depending on the level of redundancy required for your application, ring redundancy may or may not be the right fit. One good use case for ring redundancy would be a machine with a rotating turret. Ring redundancy can increase the resiliency of that slip ring connection so that disturbances over the slip ring are much less likely to result in a loss of network data. The other type of network redundancy is called cable redundancy. Cable redundancy is really simple actually. All we do is we run two cables throughout the entire system, so two redundant networks. With that type of network redundancy, those two cables are running throughout the system with each network node being connected to both lines. So again, in our situation where we have four nodes, one being our controller, two, three, and four being arbitrary nodes in the system, you would have two cables going from one to two, two to three, and three to four, and those uh, would be independent networks. Now this is really important uh, specifically in the process automation space um, or factory automation where um, there may be a requirement to have cable redundancy because it allows you to not only uh, on a software level be protected, but also it allows you to physically isolate those two networks. So it allows you to minimize your risk even more. So let's say there's some catastrophic event um, like uh, a burst pipe or something like that, or some localized fire. If the integrity of your power link network is really important, then you may need to use cable redundancy to isolate the physical line so that some local uh, catastrophic disaster, like we mentioned, like a burst pipe or something like that, wouldn't take out both of your redundant systems. So for example, you could run network one uh, through one side of the building and network two through the other side of the building. So not only do you have those independent networks protecting you, but they're also physically isolated from each other, which is a requirement in some industries. For cable redundancy in a power link network, each network node is connected to both lines via a link selector. If a cable error occurs in the system, it automatically switches to the line that is still functioning. So ultimately what cable redundancy provides is a fully redundant network. You've got two independent networks, network one and network two, running through your plant, connecting all of the different nodes in the system. And those link selectors are responsible for changing over to the other network in the event of a failure. So we've covered two different types of redundancy, controller and network and within network, another two types. So there's ring redundancy and cable redundancy. Now, that may not even be enough in every situation. So what you can see in some of the most stringent redundancy applications is a combination actually of controller and network redundancy. When you combine the two different types of redundancy, you get a system that's actually quite robust against different types of failures. So it could be resistant to a failure not only at the controller level, but also um, at the network um, at, at various different levels. Um, and there's even ways that you can combine ring redundancy and cable redundancy, depending on the system. It's getting quite complex in the realm of redundancy, um, but for the sake of the conversation, just understand that it is possible to, for example, have two redundant controllers as well as two redundant networks coming out of those uh, redundant controllers. 
Um, so that gives you kind of the most uh, protection that you could have um, for a system that really requires a high level of uptime and a minimum level of, of, of downtime. All right, so now the question that I'm sure you're asking yourself, like this sounds really complicated, uh, so it must be really hard to implement. And here I'll, I'll start talking about the BNR specific implementation just because that's what I have experience with. Um, so in the world of BNR, uh, this is typically implemented with the X20 series CPUs and configuring those modules for redundancy is really quite simple. Uh, so as long as you have a X20 uh, that is compatible with redundancy, uh, inside of Automation Studio, you just add it to the hardware tree and click a box uh, to enable redundancy. Um, and that automatically adds a, a redundant CPU into the configuration. You do need to also be careful to add the redundancy link module that plugs into the uh, X20. That's what's going to be connecting, uh, you know, controller A to controller B. Um, it's Pretty simple, you just drag and drop into Automation Studio and it actually automatically uh, connects those two PLCs. And beyond that, there's some configuration that you can do of the redundancy properties, but um, you're pretty much ready to go at that point. Then you just have to build out your controller, build out your network, and uh, you're, you're done from there. And it's very similar for network redundancy. Um, again, uh, the, the compact link selectors pretty much do everything for you. So there's not much to do really in the way of software. And, and that's kind of the idea behind it is you don't want to have to handle uh, all of these redundancy characteristics inside of your logic implementation. You want that to kind of be handled at a layer abstracted away from your application code so that the application is just running as normal. And if there's a failure either in the controller or the network, um, then the redundancy hardware in the system is gonna handle that automatically. And that's exactly how it works within the, the BNR world. All right, so let's recap. We've talked about redundancy in a couple different ways. Number one, what is redundancy? It's more or less a fancy word for having a backup system. Um, what are the different types of redundancy? Uh, we talked about two uh, higher level types, that's controller redundancy and network redundancy. Um, and then within network redundancy, we talked about ring redundancy and cable redundancy. And that's it, now you're a redundancy expert. Um, there's obviously a lot more that you can get into and there's some pretty cool architectures you can create within the redundancy ecosystem and BNR. Um, it's pretty powerful. So if you want to learn more about that or if you have any questions, um, feel free to reach out to me directly on LinkedIn or by email at automationpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this show, make sure you subscribe, leave a comment, leave some stars uh, in Apple Podcasts or wherever you review your podcasts, and make sure you share the podcast. Uh, we'd really appreciate that if you enjoy the, the content that we're putting out. If this is the kind of stuff that is interesting and valuable to you, please share it, give it a like. Um, it helps us to you know better curate the content so we make sure we're bringing stuff that's actually valuable uh, for you guys out there to learn and to know. And lastly, of course, make sure you check out the BNR website. That's br-automation.com. Um, there's a little blurb on there about redundancy. Uh, you can also dig through the redundancy manual if you so choose. Um, but make sure you check out the website. Check out the BNR YouTube channel by searching BNR Automation uh, in YouTube. And we'll see you next time on This Is Automation. Automation.